and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we're going to bring you a haunted love story. That is how this book was marketed. A and haunted I, love story? Sure. Okay. A haunted love story. We watched 19... Nope. We, <laughs> we watched 2011's Bag of Bones based okay. on the 1998 novel of the same name. Before we get started... Let's talk a little bit about our week. So, first of all, we're recording this in advance because our life got flipped, turned upside down, and things are changing for us, right? Right. So, we're going to do our best to record a bunch of these so that I can edit them and release them on a regular schedule. We missed one. We're very sorry. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hopefully, that's the only one we miss of this show. Our other show, we're going to put on hiatus. Right. For the time being. For the time being, because we, due to the machinations of 2020, have lost the ability to stay in our current abode. Mm -hmm. So we are now scrambling to find another place to live and then move into that other place. It's less the machinations of 2020 than the machinations of a brood of vipers I grew up with. However. That's fine, but I think that 2020 and the female judge had a little something to do. Yeah. There, some With wrong it. happened, but what we're going to do is do what we always do, which is survive and overcome. This is our plan. This is our plan. So. And we will podcast Stephen King throughout. But like uh-huh. I said, um, the Without Works podcast is going to go on a little bit of a break because meanwhile, I'm also trying to work more to gather money for said move. Mm-hmm. And thus, I do all of the post-production and stuff on both of our shows. So I just don't have the time or the capability at this point. And it it will be different when we land somewhere. Yes. I think right now is just, there's a lot of house hunting and doing um, number crunching. Yes. And packing. And And so it's it's taking up a lot of time just now. Yes. But we'll keep bringing you Stephen King stuff. Uh, Fortunately, I think a lot of the stuff coming up is watchable. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I felt very bad because one of our oops. regular listeners uh-huh. last week was in order to prepare for the show. He he got the uh, the idea of watching the program ahead of or watching the film or television program ahead right. of time. Uh huh. And he wound up was watching, it Dolan's Cadillac? And you no, 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 you, oh, okay. no. It was uh, the remake of Children of the Corn. Oh no! Don't do that. And, and oh, I was no. like, when I realized he was in the, he was starting it, I'm like, oh, don't, don't, you don't want to see that. It's not great. But um, yeah, so unfortunately, I think we have better stuff to recommend this time. The, the next couple of programs have been pretty good. We're doing a double record today. Mm-hmm. We're starting with this one, Bag of Bones, and then we're going to record the Carrie episode. So. Our how was your week is going to be very remarkable. Very similar. Um, after that, the next thing on our list is Under the Dome. And uh-huh. we didn't want to rewatch the whole thing, but were we going to watch a piece of it? Yeah, we can watch the first or second episode. I'm not sure how far Maybe into the first it you want to get. Last. The first and last. <laughs> By the last episode, though, it was so far away from the I know, plot I don't, the, I never saw anything after the first I season. S- I started seeing the second season, and one of the major characters all through the first season died off right away. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, we'll talk about it. Yeah. But I don't know how much of it we're going to watch, and please don't feel like you need to watch the entire series because oh, please. nobody yeah. needs to watch the entire series. Although I do love that dude, that Which, bald dude. 
The bad guy. Oh, yeah. I don't know his name. Mr. Bad Guy. Bald Batty. Something Norris. Dean Norris? Norris. Dean Norris. Yes, yes, yes. I wonder if I Google Bald Batty what comes up. Google. Oh, hey. A lot of striking-looking black women, actually. Really? Yeah, Amber Rose, among others. I guess <laughs> that's like a, a hashtag oh. that that these fucking hot women are applying <laughs> to themselves. So, never mind. My thing did not work. But what if I look up bald bad guy? Dr. Evil, Dr. Evil. And then this one is a mashup of Voldemort, Bane, Jeff Daniels from Iron Man. Uh-huh. No. No, Jeff Daniels. Jeff Bridges. Jeff from, Bridges. Sorry. Yeah. I want to say that that is the dude. Gollum is on the end, and then it's uh, it's uh, Malkovich from Conair. You know who I really think? Telly Savalas, when he played Blofeld in uh, the Bond film, the one of the one of my favorite Bond films, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, he really did a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he he did more than any of the uh, other actors, including who was the recent the, the Austrian actor who recently played Blofeld. More than any of the others, I think Telly Savalas captured the character, mm. and I thought he was a great example. Or another great bald bad guy would be Sexy Beast, and yes. his just yeah, escapes Kingsley. Ben, ben Kingsley's Kingsley. psychotic gangster. Who's uh, I get a lot of um... manages to be terribly funny at the same time and being really. Violent and horrible. Bullseye and Eisenberg in the new oh. Superman movies, oh, right? okay, yeah. Jesse Eisenberg is was Lex Luthor, who's mm-hmm. a bald bad guy. Oh my gosh, I should see this as... I'm just sort of thinking, I wonder if maybe that's the reason why I get so much police attention. Oh, because bald people are bad guys? No, I don't think so. I think that these are the bald... Famous bald bad guys, and I googled that, that is specifically. So, God bless our balds. Mm-hmm. Well, I was uh, taking a walk the other day with a friend, and we were at the Albany Bulb, I guess, walking your okay. dog. Yes. Mm-hmm. And this guy's walk- this is walking with his little kid, and the boy must not be any older than five or six. And I guess they were playing I Spy. Oh, no. <laughs> so as they're walking by, he looks at me and says out loud, really loud, I see someone who has no hair. And Nice. Uh, yeah. And the dad just went red in the face and began to really apologize. And Well, that's good. Yeah. Because kids are terrible. Yes. And they don't know that they're terrible. And then so, then they do know that they're terrible and then they don't care. And then they care. And they stop being care- terrible. Well, uh, or they never care and they never stop being care- terrible. There was the point I where... I was said, oh, then they never stop being caring. <laughs> <laughs> well, when the kids said it, it's almost like he was really impatient or horrified. <laughs> I see somebody who has no hair. He was really upset about this. It ruined his day. So hopefully he's gotten over it. It was a week ago. Two weeks. So that's our week, and that's what's coming up. Mm-hmm. So let's get into this movie. All right. So we watched Bag of Bones. We watched it in its entirety. It is a two-part miniseries that aired originally on A&D. It aired... It, it, that's weird. It aired in December of 2011, which I don't... This feels like an August movie, but okay. Starring... Uh, Irishman Pierce Brosnan as American Mike, is it Noonan? Yeah. I feel like Mike Noonan is a name that he has used before, but maybe I am wrong. Well, he uses uh, versions of 
Nolly or Ollie a lot. Ollie Weeks, and there's a Nolly character in another, I think, in Salem's Lot. And okay. It, yeah, he, he'll use the same name over and over again, or variations of the same name. And in this one, in the book, names are very important. Genealogy mm-hmm. is very important. Right. In this one, they touch on it, but it's not as deeply felt inside of it. Okay. Uh, the, the miniseries was directed uh, by Mick Garris. For the fifty-seventh time, no, <laughs> it's not. But we've we're getting real used to seeing Mick Garris on Stephen King properties by now, right? Right. And I I don't know why it surprised me that it was Mick Garris, but it kind of did because I didn't know that go, going in. I just mm-hmm. found that out today when I was doing my little follow-up research. It aired over two nights, as I said. Uh, we watched it all in one go because it's basically two and a half hours. Right. It wasn't even three three o three, which is what the other two-part miniseries so just a lot been. of commercials then, yeah. on the original run. Wow. Yeah, a lot, a lot of commercials. And there's a lot of Stephen King Easter eggs in this one, which I kind of want right. to talk about as we go. We also have starring uh, Melissa George as Maddie, who after this performance, I might come to the conclusion that she is, in fact, a bad actress. Oh, really? Yeah. But we'll talk about her. Okay. I typically have liked her. Mm-hmm. Or I was excited when she show up in things because I think that she brings sort of a, a joie de vivre uh-huh. to her performances. I think it just might be bad, though. I think she might just be bad at acting. <laughs> so we'll, okay. we'll, get, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have Annabeth Gish as Joe Noonan uh, as a person that also as a ghost. Right. Haunted love story, y'all. Haunted. Oh, Melissa George's ghost, too, for a little while. We have Anika Nani Rose, who is a... Uh, Broadway actress, but also did the voice of Tiana in The Princess and the Frog as one Sarah Tid- Tidwell, also as a person and a goose. We have William Shallert as Max DeVore. I don't know who this man is. He is a creepy, creepy dude who looked like he was wearing old age makeup, and I don't know if he was wearing old age makeup. <laughs> and Caitlin Carmichael is the best performance as a young Kyra DeVore. I guess her last name is DeVore. And, oh, Right. Two weird cameos. <laughs> One is Jason Priestley. That's Marty. That is his agent slash editor. Agent, I think. I think it's his agent. Mike is a writer, y'all, because this is a Stephen King story. So our main protagonist is a writer. And Matt Frewer as Mike's brother, who I really remembered a plot line involving him that is not in this and i don't i want to talk about that as well okay so we start mike noonan is a successful writer he is married to the lovely joe annabeth gish who uh types out the last line of all of his stories he brings her into his office and and tells her what to type and then he types it in or she types it in, and that is how he finishes all of his books. Okay. It's like a weird superstition. So we see that right at the beginning. And they, um, they're trying to have a kid. Now, when, <laughs> when this was made, <laughs> how old was Pierce Brosnan? And how old is Annabeth Gish? Is Annabeth Gish? Um, so this movie was made, say, 2011 they filmed it, or 2010 they filmed it, although they probably filmed it in 2011. Uh, he was born in 1953. That makes him 57. Uh-huh. And she was born 
1971, she would have been 39. Okay. Okay. No, it's still within the realm of possibility. Within the realm of possibility. This is not like a biblical birth, you know. No. Where... Well, I'm also like, clearly he's older than she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no sort of telling how long they've been together, just that they've been together uh, since she could be together with him. And they seem to be very much in love. They are very much in love. She accompanies him on his book tour, which I feel like by this point in his career she would be over, but I guess she doesn't have a lot else going on. She is a painter. Mm-hmm. She's, there's her paintings all of... We never, we never see her painting. The only th- things that we see her doing are napping right. and dying. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we should start with that because that happens right off yes. the bat. Yes. So she's on the book tour with him. She runs across the street while he's doing his uh, his signing. He gets a "I'm your number one fan" Easter egg to buy a pregnancy test. Is this the second movie inside of three weeks where a pregnancy test was the death of a woman? Yes, yes it is, <laughs> because that is why the woman in Dolan's Cadillac died as well. Uh, the the woman should just stop getting just pregnant. Can, that seems it's to not be... even, it's not the pregnancy. It's the need to know right now what, whether or not I'm pregnant. Schrodinger's pregnancy is what's killing these women. <laughs> and when she's crossing back to the store, or to the uh, the bookshop where he is, she is... Mushed by a bus. Just <laughs> in a very... <laughs> this is a movie bus, which is one of these buses that they comes go, out of nowhere. They, they make no noise. Right. They, they and they're just, always going 70 miles They hour. materialize out of nowhere. I, I, You see her look both ways. Right. And now, then so <laughs> Both you and I are, are city people, right? Yes. We more or less have lived in cities our whole lives. Well... And no, but my whole adult life, sure. Right. So the idea that you don't see something that size, which is roughly the size of a small dinosaur hurtling at you. Hurtling at and and you. And they're always never hurtling. See it, right? They never have just lifted their foot off the right. brake. No, 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 no. They are doing a cool 35 minutes. Right. It's not like you can't see it. I don't know and why. the street also is very narrow. I right. think they're in New York. Um, I don't know. But the, I cannot imagine that the bu- the bu- a bus would go this speed through no. this street. I just I don't get it. But and then he hears commotion and decides to take a break from his book signing and go outside, which I don't buy. What was very odd is that yeah, you would think that his assistant or his handler, because we know people who've done this, right, would go out and take a look if he was concerned. But instead, he leaves. He leaves. He's and, like, and give I, me a second. They don't and let play me go into out. this. It, I can understand if the the point was supposed to be that he has some sort of um. If he heard her voice, even no, but he has some sort of psychic experience, right? Where he feels that something's happened to her, and he goes out, right? And I'd like to hear that's her voice never been played later, into. Right, we hear her voice. And she is not, when he goes outside, she is not, in fact, dead. Uh-huh. Um, but she is dying. She dies Despite being hit by a bus at top Well, she's messed up. Right. And she is actively dying, but mm-hmm. she is not all the way dead. So she, I think, says, I love you or something like that. Um, and then he sees the uh, pregnancy test. And then, unfortunately, there is a level of jealousy that then seeps into this movie because he presumes that she was having an affair and that's how she got pregnant not right. that she's pregnant with his child because he has a low sperm crown 
And it's just, and that just permeates his all the way up until 20 minutes from the end uh when he is like, phew, it was my baby all along. Um, and, and that is dispelled when, because she's dot, dot, dot. She's seen around a a town with a man Uh and then he finds out, oh, it's my brother, my gay brother, Sid. And and there's a there right after the funeral, uh-huh. there is a, a a scene at the bar with Sid, who's played by Matt Frewer, uh-huh. our beloved trash can man, <laughs> and he gives him this very weird paranoid look, mm-hmm. and I'm like, was Sid stooping Joe? <laughs> but then we find out through just a line of dialogue later. Oh, my gay brother Sid! Like clearly, I don't have to be worried about her having sex with him. But I really thought that that's what was. Well, there's. I I didn't. So the the fact that he was anger or jealous, does angry or jealous about her pregnancy, that was distracting for you, or it was, and it just. I felt like that was the motivation for him to try to investigate so much of her past, and I don't like that motivation. I think that motivation is a bummer. Like. Love the memory of the woman who you no longer have in your life. Why do you need to I see, crack I, I actually felt it was appropriate because what, what the, the story is, is that he, she would regularly flee to this cabin. Flee? Uh, she, well, they own a cabin on a lake well, I see and sometimes flee, she just, would go there I, without him the impression she was fixing that she, it up. Right. Well, she was painting there too. So this yes. was her home away from home. Yeah. And so she was known to everyone house. in the local community. Mm-hmm. She was friends with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And she was aware of the intrigues of this little town. Yes. Um, Peyton Place, there's a lot to answer that story. Yes. It's like yes. there's a lot of well, that kind of nonsense. Well, where everybody knows your business. Right. Everybody knows your fucking business. And here, so. it's one of those uh, cases where I believe the Mick Garris talked about how the this format, it was supposed to be done as a theatrical film at one point. Okay. Uh, that this format was better suited for it, but I still think it does. It was not enough time to tell this story because we have characters just walking in and giving expedition dumps. Oh, there um, are. We'll some run into that. You know, there's a scene wild in a, expedition a cafe where someone just uh, a cook just pulls up a chair at his table and just tells him everything he needs to know. Honestly, though, uh-huh. I think this is too long. I think the movie's too long. Uh, there, there <laughs> needs to be something with it because we're having two stories at the same time, one, one of which is his investigation into his wife. Right. And it didn't feel to me inappropriate because he obviously was so in love with her, it was almost as if, how could well, she? He's like, yes, it was like, how could right. she? She's gone and cannot answer for herself. Right. So now he's like well, investigating. I, think I just don't like it. The just don't strength like it. of... Of, um, and you knew this woman, right? Mm-hmm. Presumably. <laughs> right. Well, that's. I think that's what's motivating it, too. I thought I knew her. The strength of Pierce Brosnan's performance is, despite the fact that this guy's motivation for investigating his wife's uh, life at, the, at this cabin. Yeah. Um, and I say the word flee just because, to me, every time you go out to the country, it seems that that's what you're doing. You know, it's like, well, I, also, it's we have this property. Mm-hmm. I want to maintain it. Which, yeah, and, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm putting that... Uh, because they, I think they, they it's it was his grandfather's cabin, which right. I don't think they explicitly say, but that's definitely the way Well, as the, the story goes is. along, you find out yeah. uh, his connection with his grandfather to this, this strange, uh, very sinisterly named place. Um, well... That's only half of it. Dark Score Lake is the name of the lake in Maine that she goes to. The house, which we don't learn in the book, in the uh-huh. movie, but in the book is called Sarah's Tears. 
Lovely. Which, if you knew that going in, uh-huh. would make the weird side history plot right. curse thing. Yeah, there's a curse, everybody. This, make more sense. This movie kind of have has it all. It I does. think it it um it has it ghosts, really it has curses. It has a, a sick, it's like a kitchen sink cookie. Uh, Put some coconut in there. Put some rice krispies in there. Throw some chocolate chips uh, in there. A villain in a wheelchair. Absolutely. Well, it's a villain in a wheelchair who's being pushed around by a psychotic a female athlete. Rosette, what a um, cunt. She who like yeah is is fond of maybe killing people. I don't know. Uh, and a, a trigger warning to everybody: there is a fairly graphic rape scene at one point in the film. That is weirdly handled. I want to right. talk about that too when and we then get there. This is going to be a long episode, y'all. <laughs> the film is about, I mean, the story It basically involves murdering children. Yes. So if those things bother you, this might this not be rough. the story for you. It's, it's going to be rough. What happens isn't much. So in, in the movie... Yeah, that's, that's the odd part. Isn't after, right. It's, uh-huh. it, and it takes place over a very short period of time. Right. In the movie, Sid is like, you should go up to the cabin it's where she spent a lot of time maybe mm-hmm. you'll feel closer to her there he's having writer's block and right. has a has basically committed himself to writing another book very quickly turning it around like three months and he pulls and out do you a know book. why because bachman oh, they found a, they found right. a new bachman book and kutz <laughs> is publishing in the in the in the spring or the right. autumn whichever now, this he is does a, normally a weird do. cameo by jason Priestley. it's not even a cameo because he's mean, got like a he's a he's fairly a, significant a character, but he's only character. like three or four scenes really in the film. Who other than Pierce Brosnan is in more than three or four scenes in this movie, though? Um, I think Nobody. oddly, <laughs> oddly, Annabeth Gish is in the movie more than I expected to, being so that she died in the first ten minutes. <laughs> yes, right. there is that. Also, Anika Nani Rose is right. in a, a fair amount as I, well. I think it's it's honest to say that the dead characters show up in the film almost uh, well more than any of the living supporting cast. That's right. Yes, correct. <laughs> They're <laughs> just like the dead people. They're just persistent and kind of uh, a pest, actually, at yes. times. So, so Sid goes, you should go up. Um, mm-hmm. And and he's taken a, dr- a, a drawer book, which is right. a, a, a manuscript. A trunk book. Yeah, he calls it a trunk book. That's right. right. Uh, no. Does he call it a trunk I book? I believe it was a trunk book. I thought it's that's like, what Stephen King called them, and he called them a drawer book or something like uh-huh. that. But Stephen King has these and has certainly used them, especially in the height right. of his uh, d- d- drug use, uh, which is, I finished this, I'm not thrilled with it, I'm putting it away. Right. And it's in case I can't come up with something later and maybe I can polish it or, or you know. Yeah. And, and so that he's got a number of those. He plans to just rely on that because he can't write anything. And, he th- and he's, when he's sitting down to write, he is talking to Joe. There's a lot of, t- Piers Brosnan, okay, first of all, he cries more in this movie than I think he's ever cried in all of his other movies all combined. Mm-hmm. He's very good at it. Uh, it's very different than what you're normally... He's a person who typically, when he shows up on screen, you're like, oh, this is a cold bastard with no feelings. Right. And he is not that Which is this. what made him an ideal James Bond. Right. Because that character as written... And it seemed, when I saw his first film, Goldeneye, mm-hmm. the production was overdone, like all the Bond films were at that point. But... I felt like having read the books is that he nailed a character, nailed a cold character. bastard with no feelings, who's constantly like, he did a good job of having moments of you can see where he wants to feel something and he's just shoving it down. Yeah, because and that's I feel not like what he does. In Remington Steel and in things where he is a a person, mm-hmm. he still has this sort of standoffish quality right. around kids or around yeah. women. Like he's he's never. 
just a dude. Except, like, in Mamma Mia, right? right? Like, where he's like, fuck it. I am drinking through this entire production. We are having a party, and I'm going to sing, and you're right. going to fucking deal with it. You don't have to like it, <laughs> but you're going to listen to me. Uh, and in this movie, he often doesn't even look like himself. He is weeping yeah. and contorted and curled up on the ground in the fetal position. And I think it was great. And, I, I, yes, and I have no I, problem with I, it, I but I'm just to. like, props uh-huh. to fucking Mick Garris for being like, oh, he could do this. Well, <laughs> I, I would never guess that he I could would, do this. And again, uh, we talked about it a little bit at the uh, tail end of the uh, program last week. When we mentioned Pierce Brosnan, like, yeah, Pierce Brosnan showed up in the Hammer House of Horror mm. television program. He did a really interesting film, one of John McTiernan, the director of Die Hard. Mm. And maybe that would be a recommends for anybody who wants to see a really weird offbeat horror film. There's a film he did in the early 80s called Nomads, where he plays a French scientist whose wife died. He's an anthropologist, and he began studying or researching nomadic, how nomadic cultures all seem to have the same stories about wandering spirits. And he's now living in modern Los Angeles. Oh, it feels very similar to this, actually. So maybe that's where Matheris yeah. is coming from. But he also did this sort of like very twitchy, anxious, angry French scientist with the full accent and everything. Really? And I think he was he's doing got an this... American accent in this. Right. They don't let him do his Irish accent, which is probably right, pretty faded it can, it can, now. You're right. It can be really easily mangled. Uh, but in this part, I, I really have to give him credit for showing all the kinds of things that he didn't get to do for years. Yeah. He laughs very easily, which is a hard he thing does. to do. He is weeping. I actually, and that's kind of what sold me on the jealousy thing because I felt bad for him. How hurt he was. I felt like, oh, that would be really crummy if I loved this person with all of my heart and then maybe I, I didn't. Trust them because even though he's but jealous, he did trust them during her for trust her during her life. He only right. didn't trust her in her death, and he, that's unfair to me. Even like, though, well, and I understand that, but I'm <sighs> saying that as he comes across as wounded rather than just a jerk. Yeah, he I does just, a good job of that. This, yeah, know. it's a weird one. It's it, a weird it's motivation. Also just, I'm like, I'm tired of the 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 husband's ownership of the wife. Right. Which I didn't really feel being the end right. all be all of a relationship, and and I it, it it's just a th- I think it's a thing that's bothering me in uh, more and more stuff now. Okay. So I was like, really, you're not gonna just be like, hey, maybe my sperms are working. Yeah. Like. That, well, and I think that that was part of it because we saw this handled really poorly in uh, Nightmares and Dreamscapes, the episode about the man who gets bitten by the snake. Yes. Yes. Oh. Where his whole motivation, or not motivation, his what he's having the issue with is I can't get it up and my wife is young and beautiful. And she's going to leave me for someone who can't right, get it up or whatever. Some, yeah. Someone strong and virile. And so that kind of insecurity, I think, is supposed to add something to the character and instead it kind of, it doesn't, certainly in that case. Yes. It's a little bit better in this case because you kind of like him and casting Pierce Brosnan was a great decision. Yeah. Because he is likable even yeah. when he's being a cold bastard. With, yes, that's true. Even like, yeah, even when you're like, oh no, this dude doesn't care about anybody, you're right. still like, but I hope he gets what he wants. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, um, okay. So he goes up to the lake, mm. stay at the house, and um, he's visited by three spirits. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I say that as a joke, but also, he is in fact visited, visited by, by three spirits. spirits. Yes, he is. <laughs> so, um, 
He also, he meets a young widow named Maddie because uh, he's driving and he sees her daughter kind of walking alone in the street Wandering. in a bathing suit. Right. And he pulls over and pulls her out of the road before somebody, you know, comes by. In and a then, similarly rocketing vehicle. Yes, <laughs> right. And then Maddie comes out and is like, oh, no, no, where is she? And, did, okay. Okay, I, so here's the Melissa George thing? Yeah, well, this is a Melissa George thing. But uh, no, before I, I get to that, the daughter that they didn't have, uh, Kaya, was what he wanted to name his daughter. Right. Did they have a daughter who passed away, or was it just if they have a daughter, this is what they? That's what I, I believe. I, I can't remember. That was there was a lot of it, there. There was either a it. pregnancy loss or a child loss mm-hmm. of a daughter named Kaya, and so she calls her Kai, her daughter uh-huh. Kai, and she's like, like he says, like Kaya, and she goes, it's Kyra, uh-huh. but yeah, like that, right. And um, so Melissa know, George's daughter is similar to the name of the daughter that they would that have, they okay. would have named. I just now, want to clarify that for in the movie the daughter is six. That is a good choice because in the book the daughter is three. Oh no no, it's no, too no. young. Yeah, at six she's my favorite character. <laughs> right. She's this precocious little girl who also talks like a kid. Yeah, like I just I'm like this girl is awesome. Uh, her mom less so, and. So it's it's Maddie and Kyra, and he's like, nice to meet you. If you need anything, let me know, whatever. Yeah. And then we get the custody dump, because he visits the... Custody dump? Or uh, the, the exposition dump. Oh, exposition dump. Because he visits the, I guess, the town diner or right. whatever, and he orders some food, and they bring him a bunch of food out, and then they pull up some chairs, the right. people and who this run is the diner. The cook. And then they're like, here's five minutes of... Right. Oh, the backstory. Here's, uh, and the cook, good casting, because he looks like the guy who would be a cook in a small town. He's he enormous. Does. Yes. And he just pulls up a chair as if anybody asked him to do it and right. holds a conversation along with the waitress. And they all inform him. the history of everything. Right. They all inform him about Maddie DeVore, who's Melissa George's character. Yes. Why he needs to stay away from her. Yes. The history that they have in the town. There's a ritual manager chair, which is Mr. Potter from um, <laughs> Bedford Falls, right? I don't uh, even know what you're saying. Um, what? It's the same kind of character that was uh, played oh, in It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, you a movie that I don't, I've never seen. Right. It's <laughs> a Wonderful Life. There's a mean old man who's in the wheelchair you, who rules yes. the whole town he with He is Iron a Fist. mean old man who, like I said, appears, his uh-huh. name is Max DeVore. Right. Well, that, that last name is familiar. He is, his son, Lance, was married to Maddie, who at this time is 20 with a six-year-old. Well, I guess they, now she's right. supposed to be 23 with a six-year-old. In the book, she's 20 with a three-year-old. <laughs> Melissa George is older than that. Um, they should have actually gotten a younger woman to but play But I think her, I, I'm, I'm happy with it. They didn't get a very young uh, I'm pretty happy, yeah. too. But uh, the, the town universally basically believes that she's a tramp. Um, and Max is trying to... Oh, so... Maddie killed Lance because Lance tried to drown Kyra. There we go. And now Lance's father is trying, Max, is trying to get custody of Kyra. So I think that... So my first right. thought is, why doesn't this bitch move? This man might be rich and powerful in Darkscore Lake, Maine, which in the book, uh-huh. it's not even the name of the town. The town is called TR90 or whatever because uh-huh. there's no town right, there. Okay. It's just the location on the map. It's like where you take, which turnpike thing you, you take. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know why. It's a very, it's a very Scarlet Letter situation to me where I'm like, just take your daughter and move literally anywhere else. Well, 
in in this particular, and this is where I feel the issue comes with the length of the story, is that there are three separate stories that converge at one point. Yeah. Uh, there's yes. the story of Maddie, there, uh, Maddie DeVore, and right. it also, this um, goes along with the curse because there's an yes. epidemic of child drownings. Yes. That happen and... Fathers drowning their daughters. Right. And Specifically, this, that's right. what it is. And it's so, not just child drownings. It's fathers drowning their daughters. The now, specific drowning of... <coughs> the drowning of Kyra DeVore is one of a series yes. of locals who have drowned their daughters. And they even have a term for this. This is it's dark score crazy. Dark score crazy when you kill your daughter. Oh, <laughs> you he's just dark score crazy. Kill your daughter. So, right. Um, and uh, then there's the third plot that we're going to get involved with, which is hinted at in the beginning with a very feminine-looking birch tree, I'm guessing. Uh, that yeah, has, but that's not even a third plot. That's all. That's, it's all one plot. Right, it's all one plot, but there's all these different branches from it. So I feel like the yeah. problem is that some of them don't get addressed properly. Yeah, no, that's right. And, and so we and get the short... way that they decided to put it in right. a movie to make it more visual doesn't necessarily work. Right. Um, so let's start... Let's do our own exposition dump and give you the okay. end first. All right. There is a curse on the family members of, I believe, five men uh-huh. who, in 1939, raped and murdered Sarah Tidwell. Uh-huh. And, in this movie, her daughter, Keisha. They did not rape her daughter. Her daughter was about six or whatever. Uh-huh. And Her daughter walked in on the her rape. Her daughter walked in on the rape, and they drowned her in the lake. Uh-huh. And... There is a scene, it is a long scene, mm-hmm. of Sarah Tidwell and Nika Nani Rose being raped, which is the weirdest rape scene I've ever seen on television, like I've ever seen committed uh-huh. to film. Because at a certain point, she sort of resigns herself to what is happening, right. and then her daughter walks in. And they're on the in the forest. So right. she so she just enters this clearing. These four young door. men have followed her into the woods. Five, five. and uh, the leader of them is Max Devore. Max Devore, Mad as Max a young Devore. Man. Uh, yes, as a young man. And he leads the sexual assault on this. Which woman. think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. It was 1939. Right. This takes place ostensibly in 2010. Okay. He would have been. He would have to be in this movie. Uh, a cool 82, 83 years old. Right. He would have had to have been born in about 1920 to be the age that yeah. we see him, right? He appears to be an adult. Like a young, teen. Like a young right, adult, right. though. Like mm-hmm. maybe 19. Yeah. So say he's born in 1920. So he's... Oh, no, I'm sorry. 90 years yeah. old in this movie. Um, and at that point, she said, you know, she begs... Sarah Tidwell. Yes, yeah, Sarah Tidwell. Dude, dude, she screams at her daughter, Keisha, to run, uh-huh. and then begs them to leave her be and just do whatever they want to do with her. At that point, they uh, get Keisha and they drown her in the lake, and she, while still being raped, right. sits up and curses all of these men's families, at it's which point they bash her in the head with a rock and kill her. Repeatedly. Um, uh, but... The scene is very strange because for the whole time, ostensibly, there is a sexual assault going on. There's also dialogue right. and acting happening. And it is It goes on weird. for quite a while. And I think that that's what makes it, as I said, just really uncomfortable. Because, because she's like, she starts like, they find her in the woods and they uh, say, you know, 
we like your singing. And she goes, that's nice. I'll see you at the next set or whatever. Cause she's performed right. at the fair and they grab her. Max grabs her and he, she hits him uh-huh. and gets away from him. And she, she says, just because you like my singing doesn't mean you have a right to me. Right. Uh, at which point, you know, Max says, grab her and they grab her. And then they throw her on the ground, and it's basically you think that you, you and your kind, because uh-huh. she is a black woman, and right. these are, of course, all white men in, in Maine, uh, can sing like that and get us all hot and bothered, and then not give us what we want right. after the fact. Which, yeah, that's what women can do, actually. <laughs> Fucking, you well, need to learn how to contain yeah. yourself. It's really also personalizing it. Like, no, this was not for you. It wasn't, if you took it that yes, way, that was you. That's on you. It's right. very much like a stalker type yeah. thing, right? But this this presumption that you now owe me a thing right. because you made me feel a thing. Right. I didn't make you do anything, actually, and I don't owe you anything. Um, and so she's flip with them, and she's cursing them. Not actually cursing them, but like... Laying a curse on them. Well, no, 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 not even that. Oh, okay. At the beginning, she's she kind of was mocking them. Right. As there's thrusting happening, like right. she's actively being sexual sexually assaulted and has lines to say, which is yeah. so strange. And then, and she's kind of mocking, and he's getting more violent, and then they like trade out. Right. And like it's your turn now, or whatever, and. She's sort of like, fuck, do what you're going to do, I guess. Right. Like, like, this feels like something that maybe has happened to her before. And she's just like, I mean, I could just let you do this and then I can go on about my fucking life. Or you could maybe murder me while I'm right, right. here. And then her daughter appears and then she gets much more feisty. And right. that's when, of course. But she says, what you did to my daughter, you'll all do to your own daughters. And all of your sons will do to your daughters. Or to do, do to their daughters. Uh-huh. So it becomes this very specific curse on these men's families uh-huh. that the men in their families who have daughters will then drown those daughters. Forever, apparently. That's... So how do you feel about that? I'm I'm curious about. Um, I in the book it's a name thing. Uh-huh. It's not fathers to daughters necessarily. Right. It's K names and G names. It's I. It's mm, a I, little I, odd, but yeah, okay. I mean, it's a curse. Right. So yeah, it's a little odd. Um, I'm fine with the idea of the curse. What I'm not so fine with is the town's members in this weird cult at the end that I'm like, that's weird. But, um, so that is the sort of crux of everything. And when he finds this out, well, okay. So he finds that out right. in 20 minutes from the end of this thing. Okay. 20, 30 minutes from the end of this thing, say, because what happens first is there's custody hearings with, um, First of all, we know the sheriff is basically a hired gun for Max DeVore and right. his creepy lady friend. Um, and the the attorney that's supposed to be working on Maddie's behalf mm-hmm. is also in the pocket of Max DeVore. Right. Uh, they try they depose him, and he's like he's not having it because a he's too smart, and b he she he this dude doesn't know what he's doing. He's like leading a witness and all this stuff. And yeah. I think that he's written of like he's done research into stuff, so he's yeah. like. 
I'm not going to just tell, say what you want me to say. Now this is uh, we're talking about Mike. Newton. Mike, yes, it's like he's Mike sm- is brought in and so, to say, isn't it true that you saved uh, right. Kyra? She who neglected was her daughter. She was wandering yeah. down the middle of the street, and so he's and Mike's to, like, no, right. I'm not. No, <laughs> yeah. that's not. Actually, a thing that's first he, of all, you can't ask me. That's well, a leading ass question. And yeah, no. I mean, also, he's no. a very smart, smart ass. So yes. he really and kind he's of like this is stupid. It's right. clearly all of you against her, right? And um, that's the other thing. She's referred to as a tramp by literally everybody, based on well, nothing. But really. to be fair, she's a little bit of a okay. I mean, so okay. let's. So we should mm-hmm. discuss this then. Yes. Um, because I'm 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 surprised a little bit at. at uh, poor Maddie. As soon as Maddie sees Mike Noonan, uh-huh. she wants to fuck him so bad, and it is evident and gross. I think that again, and in the book, I wouldn't. Uh-huh. It, it's it's less bad because I. That's the other thing in the book. Four years have passed since Joe died. Right. In this, it seems like it was a week and a half ago. Well, not a week and a half ago. It looks like there's several months. Several months. But it he wasn't can't write four anything. years. He can't, right. That's right. He, he um, leaves after not being able to write for a while. So I think that. Um, and I, I think that the not being able to write and the low sperm count are part of the sort of feeling of impotence he right, keeps having. Right. So it's playing into that, which I really wish that we could stop seeing it that way. I just yes. It, it's it's kind of a weird. Well, where was taking Freudian men's thing. feelings of impotence out on right. women? Like, why is that always well, a thing? So interestingly enough, the reason I'm glad you brought that up, um, mm. because it's very similar to a Peter Straub book, Ghost Story, that was turned into a film. Okay. That involve four elderly men. Uh, John Hausman's one of them. Fred oh. Astaire's one of them. It's a, it's a, I love John Hausman's Muppet face. It's a really stellar cast um, of uh, four men who y- are visited by a, 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 a ghost. violent ghost. Oh, shit. Who uh, turns out to be Which the ghost of a woman that one of them drowned a long time ago. And he drowned her because he smacked her when she claimed or she boasted to the other boys about his impotence. She hit her head. Uh, right. They think she's dead, so they put her in a car and put and her into the lake. And of course she wasn't dead. It's an and of course she wasn't dead. Last summer situation. Right. Yeah. So that that that's the situation. And <laughs> right. So it was very similar to this one uh-huh. because we find out that yes. uh, was it his grandfather? His grandfather was one uh, of the Mike Herald. Newman's grandfather. Mike grandfather is was one of the rapists one of the who rapists. got cursed on sight. So right. he at some point is going to feel the compulsion to murder his own daughter. Which, uh, which and, is, and this is why when I'm sorry. When his wife found out that yes. he was, that she was pregnant, was hiding the fact until she probably found out if it was going to be a girl. Right, but and to, uh, I I have issues with that too. Right. Because why, if she knew she was pregnant, was doing all this research? Did she buy a fucking pregnancy test? Like the timeline on that right. doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, again, sense. it's truncated, and and I think it goes also to Maddie. Devor, yeah, is yes. She approaches the movie with a full thirst and doesn't seem to ever. It's like she's, part of it is she that is, he's a celebrity. Maybe she's never nude in front of her daughter, but man, she can't get her daughter in bed fast enough when Mike Noonan is around. Right. She wants to fuck him so bad, and it's just so thirsty. And that is all I see in this character. And I'm like, well, I kind of get what the talent is saying. If this right. is how now, first of all, she knows who Mike Noonan is. She's right, a like I said, is. she's a celebrity. He's a celebrity, and she. And the other thing I saw that was a little bit reasonable. He saves the daughter's life. He saves her from her That's opponent. That's true. So there might so be he the, is like, like a he's, white knight. He just comes a in bit. like a white knight, yeah. and she's been alone for a but long like, time. 
Yeah. The way that she plays it, there I is think one is, note to this performance. Yes. And I, I, it's very loud. It's very shrill. It's like that uh, high E. Right. <laughs> I'm just like and I can't with you. I have to say for myself, I like Melissa George, um, but and I've seen her play more complex parts than this certainly. But this doesn't call for her to do much no, other but, than to be one of the beautiful women in this film. every choice that she's making uh-huh. is just the most sex choice she could make. Right. And I, maybe that's what she just, she, that's a choice that she and Mick decided right. to go in together. But when you've got this whole town calling her a tramp at literally every turn, right. I'm like, hey, could you leave her be? But then also she leads with her vagina. Right. And I'm like, I mean, well, I want women to be able to be as sexual as they want to be. Well, this whole movie but also, like, is about people, women paying for sex or paying for sex appeal or glamour yes, or whatever they have. Right. That's so why is she so sex forward uh-huh. at every turn? With I think, her daughter in her hands, she still looks like, I would chuck her over this bridge if you would <laughs> fuck me right now. And it's like, it's wild. I'm just like, I, just... I think that it's just, like... It's a very one note. There's only one thing she's there for, basically. And so later in the film, it came as a genuine surprise to me when she's killed. Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so, okay. So now we have this. There's no way of, of, because the problem is that the mystery isn't much of a mystery. No, but let me. Yeah, go ahead. Let me do this in, in, in order because the other thing that is happening to Mike. Uh-huh. In addition to him being there, he is starting to write again. Right. The magnets on the fridge, which he never gets more of, but he's got letter magnets on the fridge and they are talking to him. Right. And he presumes that it is Joe. But he is also seeing visions. He thinks he's awake. Uh-huh. It's unclear how these visions are coming to him, if he's asleep right. or if he's having psychic links. In the book, he has psychic links with Kyra. Actually, he and Kyra have like a little bit of a shining together. Uh-huh. Uh, that does not seem to happen in this, although Kyra is canny, like she understands that things have happened right. when she hasn't seen them. But also, she's also in communication with Sarah Tidwell's daughter. That's right. She is. That's true. She okay. yes. Kyra has a she believes an imaginary friend. friend, which is Keisha, which is not an imaginary friend. It is the ghost of uh, Sarah Tidwell's daughter. Right. Um. So he, he's taught, he's communicating there, and then he's also having these things where he will walk through a door and be in 1939 right. and seeing Sarah Tidwell performing at the fair. He doesn't ever see the rape. What, where we get the rape is uh, Mike basically blows off the custody hearing. Like, he just blows it up. Mm-hmm. And then Max DeVore keeps saying... What does he say? Custody is responsibility yeah, or something, something like, like that. that. And then he, Max and his creepy lady friend encounter Mike on a cliff. Yeah, by the and lake. threaten him. And then do more than threaten him. She pushes him into the water. She doesn't push him into the water. She punches him in the face and he rolls and off he the rolls rock it. into the water. And in the book it is they try to drown him. Like right. they're actively trying to kill yeah. him. In this it's unclear whether they think he'll die from this. And then that night, uh-huh. Max Devor commits suicide. And by commit suicide, I mean he's in a bath. Uh-huh. His, his creepy lady friend is attending to him. She gives him, I think, some pills or something. 
Or I thought some, she injected him with something. She injected. You're right. Yeah. She injects him with something. She kisses him on the mouth in a heinous, heinous right. situation, and then puts a plastic bag over his head. And then we're supposed to believe that that's suicide. Sure. It's. I mean, he's uh, clearly on board for what's happening, right. but like that's not suicide. <laughs> that's assisted <laughs> death. And so he dies. And at that point, um, Maddie is like. I can breathe. I don't have to worry about this custody thing anymore. And you should go to the funeral and then come see me and have dinner at my house afterwards. And he's like, I'm not going to the funeral. And she goes, yes, you are, because I'm not. And I want to know what happens, (laughs) which is wild. I'm like, which is probably had a relationship at all. But that's the only really independent action she has in the entire story, though, is that she's able to guide him. Just demanding that he do this thing for her. And they, he goes to the funeral Uh and he sees an old man and then he goes to visit the old man who thinks that mike is his father or his grandfather harold calls him harold and he's like i'm not harold i'm his grandson mike and then this old man basically says what they did and why everything in one very long you know kind of flashback scene yes Yes, and very again, long. It's, it's like a 10, 15 minutes. It's an exposition dump yes. again where, yes. you know, this old man has the town secret, which is its deepest, darkest secrets, and he just happens to blurt it all out. That's what um, dementia does to you. Right. Well, I, I think he's also like, well, I'm dying. Yeah, maybe. So maybe you should know what's going on in your life. And then Mike goes to dinner. Uh-huh. Uh, he reads Kyra a bedtime story. And then he's talking with Maddie. By the way, he's good with kids. He's pretty good with kids, I, right? I, I like that, but there's nothing really weird or creepy no, about that No, there isn't. And that could be, it could very, have very especially in what ends up happening. Right. Yeah. And it's even, it's, it's better even in the, I think in the book they even made her younger because it's like a right. baby. So she's yeah. story. Like there's definitely not going to be any kind of. Yeah, because it could very easily be a weird feeling because a lot of the story is him sitting in this little girl's bedroom reading her stories and tucking her in at night. Well, and he is more he really or less. He does com- it. Once. Well, he does it near the end, too, and he's a complete stranger. That's true. He is a complete stranger, so although just, she definitely can read what Mommy wants off of right. Well, I mean, maybe not explicitly, but, like, implicitly. Right. She's like, Mommy likes this dude. And then they're talking, and there is a very... This this conversation is so strange, because <sighs> she's like, he's like, I just found this out about this curse, and this, and He's talking and the to other. Maddie, right? He's talking to Maddie, right. and Maddie's like... Joe, when she found out she was pregnant, she was coming here to do research on the curse so that it wouldn't affect, or to right. see if it would affect you. Like, oh, of, of course that's what was happening. And yeah. both of them are like, yeah, that's clear what was happening. And it's like, but wait, what? It was almost as like, if... I needed to know before an hour and 20 minutes into this, right. or an hour and 40 minutes into this, that we were in a world where everybody just knew that sometimes a family got cursed. And you needed to do well, the research. There was also uh, an element for me of, oh, now that we've cleared that up and you're completely guiltless, you can have sex with me. Well, you which can have is sex with me. Really, which, and then it doesn't happen. And they're, I think they hug. Well, they're hugging or dancing or something. They're in something. each other's arms for some and reason. And then a bullet comes through the window and kills her, shoots her in the face, which he had had a vision of her being uh-huh. shot in the face previously. Uh, and she she dies. Uh, that's what happens when you get shot. I was very surprised. Um, I was very surprised I didn't see that one coming. And he runs outside, and there are just townsmen, and they're Uh like, we we gotta take the girl. We gotta kill the girl. Right. 
the guy from the diner, Mr. Exposition yes. Dump, the sheriff. It's almost the sheriff, as if yes. all the minor... He kills, he kills the sheriff right. right here. I believe he kills him with like a tenderizer mallet or something. Something like that, yeah. Just repeatedly hits him in the face with one. And, yeah, and, and he scoops Kyra, who's yeah. like, Mom's dead, isn't she? Right. And he's like, yes, we got to go. Keep your eyes closed and let's go. Well, I love that. And the guy Don't from the diner, that. and I forget who the other... It's almost as if... It's all the, all all the, the minor characters yeah. in the story are all part of a conspiracy. They're all part of this conspiracy. And this is where I'm like, but why? Right. I, th- that's, so it was, if uh, she doesn't have a family member to kill her, it's up to the rest of the town to kill her? Like, R- Roger Ebert, what the film critic, happening? the Pulitzer winning film critic, had a, a list of guidelines for movies. And one of them is, you know, we survived, we have to kiss now. Uh-huh. Or if there's a cliff, somebody has to fall over it. Stuff right, like that. Right, right, right. If there's a bunch, you know, a, during a car chase, and this was big in the 80s, someone will run into a fruit stand. And oh, yeah. one of his was... Yeah, one of his I was... I love the fucking exploding fruit stand. Right. Don't ever stop. <laughs> and I forget what he called it exactly, like the, the rule of unnecessary characters, that if you have a mystery novel, a mystery film, and somebody shows up for no apparent reason. That guy's actually the murderer. Like, a, oh, gotcha. Because it's like there's no reason why they're in the story. In this We're case, just going to recycle all the characters so they have more use. Everybody, I and don't I don't. That's where it sort of narr- right. narratively fucking falls apart for me. Because why is this whole town so intent on murdering the six year old? And it is the whole and town. The idea is that I guess if she's gone, then the curse is done. Yeah. I guess I'm so, like, but the curse doesn't affect age. the entire town. It only affects these Those people, families. which is what makes it more bizarre that they Once want to again, end this curse. Take your girl and go. And, and, I, and then the mm-hmm. idea is now that he has taken responsibility for her, he's going to be pressured by the ghost to murder her. Which that does is. happen at one point. So he, 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 after killing the sheriff, they go back to Sarah's Tears. Let me remind you, that is the name of the home that right. he lives in. Uh, and he... um. He he goes to wash her, like to give her a bath, because uh-huh. it's been it's raining outside. I think right. She's soaking wet. She's soaking wet. He puts her in the bath, and then he feels like he's being compelled to compelled kill her. to push her under the water. And he, we see actually Max Devore come out of the bathtub uh-huh. at one point. His corpse comes back. He's the third ghost. He's the third of the three ghosts that I mentioned at the beginning. Uh, and and there's then he four, was like, actually, "Let's because, just put you yeah. to bed. Like, let's not even right. can do this right now." And then he starts hearing Joe. And Joe has made periodic um, uh, appearances, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and she's, she's put down left side. And then you hear her saying, lie still, bag of bones, lie still, bag of bones, lie uh-huh. still, bag of bones, lie still, bag of bones, like over and over. And he's written it a whole bunch of times. And then he's like, okay, down left side, are you in my writing? And this, he's saying this all to an empty room. And Annabeth, Annabeth Gish's ghost isn't actually there. Uh-huh. We do see her and sometimes, not in this scene. And so he looks at the forward before chapter one, and down the left side it says, owls above barn. So he goes into the barn, which we had seen. There was a, sh- a close-up of these owls earlier, uh-huh. and I was like, those are Chekhov's owls. And I was right. And... He goes to the barn where there is a, a bag of lye, which the next time we see it is clearly a plastic bag of lye. But right. the first time we see it is definitely a burlap, ba- burlap bag of lye, which in rain is a terrible idea. <laughs> so it's like, you're going to die. But maybe it's burlap over plastic. Like, it might be. 
So he realizes that what he needs to do, <laughs> lie still, bag of bones. If he pours lie on the bones of Sarah Tidwell and her daughter in the forest where they buried her, because uh-huh. she just went missing, right? then the curse will be Now, this can be the only reason done. why I think the townspeople would want to cover this up. You know, this racial rape and murder that happened yes. a long time ago. So that's the only thing I can see them being involved with. Yeah. Um, other than that, though, like But you why do you need to murder a child? Right. This seems like a... This seems... First of all... Well, we'll, we'll get back now, to Now, that. mind you, something that we didn't cover much is the sexy tree in the, the woods. Which, yeah, and it's got a butt. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't have a butt. Does it have a butt? It's kind of like curves, though. We keep seeing it, but we yeah. don't know why. It's just a shot, and he's walked past it a couple of times. He jogs. Times. Yes. He's jogging past the, the sexy tree. Past and, it. and so he goes to that tree... And he digs them up, and you then you see a face in the tree. Which is Mick Garris and Stephen King's penchant for bad special effects. Even it's when not you, good, John. Even when you have the money to do good special effects, let's just because go Because it's with... definitely a Nikonani Rose's face, right. but also it looks like the fucking tree in um, Pocahontas, which oh, I, I, I never find, saw it. Right. I find uh, repellent and <laughs> objectionable. Having grown up with The Wizard of Oz, talking tree is not a good idea. Not, a good, not great. Um, and he finds the bodies and he pours lye on them in right. the rain. That definitely is on his skin. And I'm right. like, well, I hope that's not actually lie or you're fucked. Right. But okay. Like just the... the just so the for those in the audience who don't terrible. know, wet lie is a really bad idea. It disintegrates human flesh. That's right. why he is putting it on these big right. bones. And it will do it with water. And so... Even your flesh attached to your living body, it will be eaten right. through with by lye. And you know what? It's really hard to wash off because the water is the activator. It's not good, y'all. Beware of lye. Um, and, oh, he's able to do that because the ghost of Joe comes, because the tree is turns into a whomping willow, basically. And starts kicking his ass. And starts kicking his <laughs> which ass. Is, and then Joe, like, It's, it's meant forms. to be scary. It's not it's scary not. at all. <laughs> Joe ghost forms and is like, hey, bitch, leave my man alone. And then they fight. And then he... And then... And then he returns to the cabin yeah. where he Meanwhile, has left Kyra asleep, <laughs> even though he knows that the whole fucking town wants to murder her. So good job. Well done. It's three o'clock in the morning, so he's, right. I guess he's hopeful that all the lunatics are at home, but they are not. He finds her in the bathtub, and, he's, and she goes, I'm just doing what the lady said. And he thinks that it's the ghost lady, and he's uh-huh. like, no, 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 she's gone now. She goes, not her, her. And then behind the door... <laughs> Creepy, creepy lady friend <laughs> is there and tries to straight up murder him, and so he straight up murders her. I, lo- I love the fact when he's when he finally gets the upper hand on this psychotic woman who is beating him up, which is funny. You know, this is James Bond getting assaulted. Yeah. He's yes. no longer playing James Bond, obviously. No. When he he's finally gets the upper hand, he tells Kyra, "Look away!" And then, and then he look kills away. Her. Yes, he does. And then, and then he <laughs> beats her brains in. The, and there are so her. many moments look of away. the climax Cover of this your movie, eyes, sweetie, like fucking really, that are unintentionally funny. Yes. Like, you know, if with a, a little tweaking, this could turn into a comedy. And then after he's dead, Maddie's spirit appears. Now in the book, they. Uh, that woman is actually taking Kyra to the lake, uh-huh. and Maddie's spirit appears there to help him fight her. That's not what happens here, but Maddie's spirit appears here, and they're like, 
you were to take care of my daughter. It's too bad we never fucked. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) And then the next day, I guess it's the next day, they're going to go canoeing. (laughs) Like, it's fucking wild. Because I'm like, this man... Outside of everything else that has happened, this man has straight up murdered at least well, two people, one of whom is the sheriff, and nobody's going to ask him. The police are all questions. around, and he just decides to take a break with uh, with Kyra. Oh, yeah. And go out oh, and okay. right. So there's police there, there's but I don't like, think that you let the suspect just walk away on the lake. Like, right. Like, many murders have occurred, and you don't want to ask anybody some in question. Right, it's like, oh, it's done now. All the right well, people he's a are rich dead. White man, right. so he, he is clearly going to be innocent. Well, so also, don't worry yourself about it. Now, there's they enough were in his home. Right, there is clear there's evidence a, that they were, right. you was, know, prote- that he was defending himself. But like, there are still many dead bodies. Right, many, many dead bodies. And also, has the other have the other dudes calmed the fuck down? Well, the or are they two keep dudes that the two men from the town, yeah. Ran into a sign. Oh, that's right. They got that mushed. Then <laughs> fell on top of them and there's they died. More dead bodies. So there's, oh, let's see. In that same night, there was one, two, three, four, five dead people that night. So Maddie, then, uh-huh. the sheriff, those two dudes, and Rochette. Right, Rochette. But two yeah, of those. So five dead bodies. Two of those are outright murders. Maddie was murdered by those other dudes. Right. And then he killed two of them. Right. So there's two outright, like, I killed people. Or three, I guess. Three outright murders, and, and two of those were, like, in self-defense. Yes. It, it's, yeah, and, and but yeah, no, please, go kayaking. It's fine. <laughs> it's not an issue. Well, go ahead. We'll the, clean things up here. In the book, there's an epilogue. Um, like I said, uh, Kyra is only two, three, mm-hmm. and he is trying to, he he retires, and then he's trying to adopt her, but his unemployed singlehood is uh, a bit of a barrier. Right. So there isn't a clean ending. And I'm like, oh, that and the fact he he murdered two people in front of her, that's not an issue? I mean, I feel like it might be an issue. I, I think given the amount of money he apparently has, being unemployed would not even be an issue, being yeah. that all writers are unemployed at some point. Well, yes. Well, um, that's that's an, actually an, uh, an interesting thing to talk about with this book, actually, because this book is the first book that he released with... Um, Signa, uh-huh. Simon and Schuster. Okay. So he'd been with Viking since the Dead Zone in 1979. So for almost 20 years, he'd been with Viking. And his desperation was uh, released in 1996, and uh-huh. his deal with Viking expired. And it was being reported that he was seeking large advances for his next novel. And 26% of gross sales, where his previous, he was looking for 17 to 18 million for in advance and right. 26 million of gross sales. Gross sales. Okay, that's interesting. Um, previously, with Viking, he was making 15 million per book. It was an advance, I think. Yeah, $15 million advance per book. So, and then he wanted to move to a more literary publisher because Viking right. is very much a genre publisher right so ultimately he left viking and on november 6th 1997 he signed an initial three book deal with simon and schuster with a two million dollar advance for bag of bones with 50 percent profit sharing wow 
So he came way down on that advance ask and went way up on the the post sales or, right. or the sales piece, which is interesting. The novel was originally reported to be a thousand pages, but it's only five hundred. And uh, original print run, one point four million copies. So he's making three per. That's still not very much. Three or four. Yeah, but the, he also got a huge advance. That's that's what well, two million dollars. Compared There's to the, a guarantee the of success with him on some level or yes, another. Yes, there are people who buy every Stephen right. King book. And that's fine. Yeah. I'm, I don't, and the library buys are always right. good because every every library always has at least two copies of the new one. Yeah. So, yeah. So what did you think overall? What did you... Overall, I actually really enjoyed it. Now, we mm. bought it. We ended up buying it because on Amazon it was $6 for the uh, whole thing. And right. I was like, okay, fine. I'll just pay five ninety eight for the series because right. it's a television show, technically. Um, and I'd probably watch it again. But man, I did not like Melissa George's character. And there might be more subtlety the second time you watch it when you've gotten past the... I just watched the end, uh-huh. the scene where he's telling her what happened after the... Um, right before she gets shot. Right. No subtlety. None. The, I, it... There needed to be something more. I felt like it, something was missing, and maybe it wasn't time. Maybe it was just you needed to weed out some of these characters because there were too many. There were too many characters. I think, honestly, it's a structure issue with uh, th- this I one. think there's too many stories to tell, too. I think it's because, like I said, it's really all one story. Uh-huh. The way that they tell the story makes you think that there are too many stories. That's a problem with the storytelling. Well, there's... He's not haunted, as we pointed out, he's haunted by several ghosts over the course of this Also, film. yeah, why is Joe still... like? What, I guess yeah, he's her unfinished I, business. Here's, but here's what makes me upset about the film. What Not so upset that it wasn't entertaining, but something that bothers me about it is the idea that, in the end, Sarah Tidwell, nobody knows. He destroyed the only evidence of what happened to her. And that yeah. resolves the issue. It's not like anyone ever confronts, well, she was raped, she was murdered. Right, it was... isn't like in The Ring where it's like, if I bring your story to light, right. then then you're going to... Well, though, that didn't work either. Right. <laughs> That's just what she thought was going instead, it's almost like, if I help cover up the evidence of what went wrong here, yes, everything will be okay. I literally just need to destroy the rest of you. Right. And get you to shut up. And so, which is pretty shitty. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's basically, I think it does the exact opposite of what he wanted, probably what he was thinking of doing. It's like, let's shut the black woman up because look how she's making life miserable for these poor white guys and their life going forward. So let me, let me tell you what, uh, this is a paragraph from Wikipedia about the book. Okay. Several families whose origin lay within the town had firstborn children with K names who were all murdered. Kyra, as a descendant of Max DeVore, is scheduled to be the next to die. The genealogy also shows that Mike's, Mike and Joe's child would have been the next firstborn child with a K name in the family line. Mike realizes this must be Sarah Tidwell's curse for something that had been done to her. He leaves and searches for Sarah's grave, stopping, stopped by the ghosts of several members of the old families. It's from them he learns in a vision that these men had viciously raped and killed her, drowned her son Keto in the lake. All the K children who died were descendants of those men. Mike reaches Sarah's grave grave and succeeds in destroying her bones, ending the curse. Um, that makes yeah. probably less sense in the film, but I can see it I mean, working I think better. That, that with 500 pages, uh, 
of really explaining yeah. what he's finding out. Uh, yeah, Mike begins having recurring, disturbing dreams and visions. Realizes he shares a psychic connection with Cairo, which must be confusing because she's three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Max and his personal assistant try to drown Mike, but he survives with the help of his wife's spirit. And then Max commits suicide that same night. And then Max sees a pattern. Local inhabitants have names that begin with K or C and learns how relatives of town, townspeople have drowned in childhood. And they haven't drowned. They've been drowned. Right. Like, drowning can be an accident, as we know too well from recent stories. Uh, or personal history. But, well, I'm talking about Naya. Oh, okay. Um, and that was clearly oh, I an accident. Oh, I didn't that, yeah. These are not accidents. These are murders. Right. And uh, it's also murders perpetuated in a town where nobody fucking does anything about it, apparently. Yeah. The, the, it, it or does Max only have Lance and he didn't have... No, because Lance's sister was killed. Yeah. So it doesn't have a... I'm just confused. It's... Yeah, it doesn't... How are all these men just it? walking around after killing people? Uh, yeah. That's kind of the feeling, but I really did feel it's sort of... Oh, they're white. A, I figured it out. Uh, Maine. <laughs> I, uh, Sarah Tidwell did not get her due in this no. story. I don't think in any way that she uh, she's able to carry out either her mission of vengeance. It's almost as if to say her vengeance is the wrong thing in this story, even though she certainly does deserve to get back at these mm-hmm. men. It's very puzzling what he's trying to say. Yeah. Yes. Um, and also, like, how do the ghosts work? Because... Sarah's ghost is mad. Mm-hmm. Cool, I get it. Right. What what what's up with Joe's ghost, and why is Max's ghost hanging out? I I don't know. Like, I need to know a little bit more about the okay. ghost physics. You, um, yeah, you need to have some kind of logic to even a fantasy story. Inside yeah, internal, internal logic. logic. Yes, it needs absolutely. to be able to be consistent and make sense to itself. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I get that these are the right. rules of the of the world. Fine. Right. As long as I know what they are, whatever yes, they are, I'm pretty those. fine with. Yeah. But, but to to do this sort of thing where it it's not consistent with itself and you're not quite sure what's going on and Yeah. Yeah. Not so, so but it's an entertaining watch, like I said. And and Pierce Brosnan is great. And nobody else is in the movie nearly as much as him. Right. So even though I'm Deeply disliking Melissa George's performance. Uh-huh. She's on screen for all of seven minutes. There doesn't seem to be very much with her in it. I'm trying to think of the number of t- scenes that she shows up in. She's but, in um, that very first scene where they meet. She's in the courtroom scene. Um, I think she's in one other scene right. after that, and then she's in her death scene, and then she's a ghost at the end. I think that's it. I don't. It's really. It's him doing a lot of. Talking to empty rooms about Joe, where are you? Joe, are you here? Joe, right. what's going on? Joe, are you in my writing? Joe, I, were you cheating on me? Joe, 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 Joe. And you know there are a bunch of scenes where he's asking, "Who'd you ever see my wife around with? What man?" Because it's always, "Oh, that man she was with." And then, "What man? What man? What man?" And then he finds out the man, if there was only one, which well, who knows. Uh, I I think that is her. His gay brother said so. Phew, right. He has nothing to worry about. That the um, the other character that I thought was really interesting, although not likable at all, is Rajette Whitmore, which is a strange choice to have this psychotic, 
devoted um, female jock who keeps beating up. She clearly was a power lifter in her native country. Yeah. <laughs> like that well, there's, kind there's of thing. A, there's, and even, even Max DeVore says something like that when she, he's knocked unexpectedly, when Mike is knocked unexpectedly into the drink. Um, but there's a hint about her very early in the movie. Uh, Mike, his uh, wife was falls asleep reading um, Rebecca. Yes. Oh, yes. That's the other thing. This right. book leans on Rebecca. Right. It does very much, and, so and, and it's it's explicit in the for text. For those who don't know, the Ms. Danvers, uh, the character Rebecca is the uh, titular character's uh, who's dead at the beginning of the novel. Um, assistant, maybe lover. It's very unclear. But she then tries very hard to drive the new Mrs. De Winter, the uh, replacement yes. for Rebecca, into suicide. And it's always been an interesting dynamic in films because a lot is said unsaid in both the novel and the movie about the relationship between Rebecca and Miss Danvers. She Somebody was on that 80s television show Night Heat. Oh. I don't know that show. Oh, I remember that show. She played prosecutor Elaine Jess- Jeffers. And she, I don't remember her getting to punch anybody in that show. She was in one episode of My Secret Identity. As a judge. But uh, but yeah, Mrs. Danvers comes back, and it's interesting how that character has these echoes throughout fiction. This yes. very ambiguous, strange, sometimes violent character. Yeah, she's a full-on psychopath in right. this movie. And it's that, to me, was one of the more entertaining parts of it, because it would be very typical to have, you know, the male assistant who's mute or something, or, you know, maybe he's bald. I don't know. But here to have this woman, you know, who who's incredibly violent and bad-tempered and just fanatically devoted to Max DeVore. Yeah. It was an interesting it's interesting. It is interesting. But it, yeah. it breaks the monotony of things you can predict about this story. Yes, that's true. And then, the, yeah, then she just shows up in the bathroom. Ooh-wee. The lady, she crazy. All right. So. So. Did you stock up on things to re- recommend? Because we gotta recommend some things. Um, I, um, I've started something. I haven't finished it. Okay. I think last week I recommended Marianne. I finally saw the end of it, and it was everything I wanted it to be on Netflix, which is a French television program about a witch that comes back to life to haunt a young adult author, who is writing these stories about her troubled childhood in this little town and her gang of friends. Now she has to overcome a witch that's come back from the dead. And it turns out that it's the witch itself is a woman who was murdered for witchcraft there a long time ago and then has come back and is gaining new life through the writings of this young adult author. So that was really fun. I've started a new one, Kuran. Kuran. Oh, yeah, I want to watch was, that. So, yeah. Which was uh, recommended by a friend of mine who lives in Austria. And she uh, she mentioned that the town in the story actually is a real town in Austria. it Or not in Austria anymore. I think it became part of Italy. I'm trying to remember how it works. Or it was an Italian town that became part of Austria. I can't quite remember. But uh, a dam was built and the entire town is flooded. So what you have is a lake with a church tower sticking out the middle of it. And so far, three episodes in, there's doppelgangers, there's mm. weird stuff, there's all sorts of creepiness and uh, I'm enjoying it so far especially since it's an actual place and they've built this sort of false mythology around this this drowned town we have one here in California the Salton Sea there's a place where you can just 
pedal your raft around and look down on uh, street lamps and mailboxes and things that, from a town that's been flooded from the building of a dam. But yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. It's kind of it's creepy. Feels like Frozen. Feels like yeah. scary Frozen. So uh, Frozen Two, excuse me. What you <laughs> Frozen? Such a problematic movie. So, what would you recommend? What's your choice? I don't remember. We would like to recommend Kiki's Delivery Service if we ever see it. I'll never be able to watch it. Yes. We watched Ponyo. Yes, we did watch Ponyo. Ponyo is very good. Ponyo loves ham and Ponyo loves Sosuke. Right. And I love that movie and you should watch it. It's very. It is available on HBO Max and now I guess on Netflix outside of the U.S. Uh, in Canada and the UK, uh, uh, the Miyazaki, the Ghibli films are being streamed now. We have HBO Max, so we watched it on there. Sometimes it works. Stephanie had not seen it, and I have only seen, like, uh, I think I've only ever seen Mononoke and House of Moving Castle. Uh-huh. So my Ghibli a... history is poor, so I'm trying to fill it in because I was watch- listening to Blank Check, uh-huh. and it sounded great. Uh-huh. It's a particular favorite uh, when my kid was very little. Uh, we watched it a lot. And I was amazed by how well action scenes got pulled off by Miyazaki. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of really intense action scenes at the end. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, this is kind of like watching an action movie. And it's strange how he just went full kiki action hero at the end of the story. But it's, it's, it's a really fun one. And the art is really beautiful. Yes. And he also seems to provide consistently between this and Spirited Away and some of the others the most well thought out female child characters. Yeah. They have conflicts. Yeah. They have conflicts. They have thoughts to themselves. They act impulsively at times. Yes. But often with, especially with male writers, you don't get that female characters are, as we've seen uh, with Melissa George's character. Mm -hmm. They're sort of one note, devoted wife. Uh, thirsty single mom. Thirsty single mom. Right. So it's it's a really welcome break to see somebody who just sort of understands childhood altogether, and really understands or is willing to just portray without trying to uh, play it for a male audience. The the life of little girls and how they see the world and how they're constantly marginalized by it. Because Kiki is about that too. Yeah. Yes. All right. So that's what I will say. Ponyo. 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 It means it's the sound of something squishy, soft, plop. Ponyo. Huh. <laughs> I love, that's the other thing. I was like, ooh, if I was trans, I would love this because her name is Brunhilde. Right. And she goes, no, I'm Ponyo and I want to be a girl. She starts as a fish. And then when her dad is like, okay, she just refers to her as Ponyo for the rest right. of the fucking movie. And when the daughter was, or the, the mom is brought into the loop, she's like, Brunhilde, and he's like, she's going by Ponyo now. And she's like, what a lovely name. <laughs> just like, there's no questions about, oh, okay, well, if this is who she wants to be, then let's make sure that this is good. And then right. let, let's let her do it. I was like, oh, that's... There's some allegories in here that I wasn't expecting. Um, next week, or in three minutes, we're going to talk right. about Carrie from 2013. That'd be the one starring one, oh, Chloe Grace Moretz and Julianne Moore with a slapping cameo by Judy Greer. <laughs> 
And so that's what we're going to talk about next. Uh, in the meantime, if you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at latecomerspod on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook by searching Latecomers Podcast in the search bar. Uh, and if you subscribe, you'll get this even if I forget to post on Facebook. So I recommend doing that because life is getting very uh, overwhelming. Yes. And I want you to listen, but also I am tired. And also I am doing many things at the same time. Right. So uh, there is that. And uh, until next time, I remind you to take your medicine. And we remind you. Better late, late than, than never. never.